Hello and welcome back to the Densic 20 podcast series on mindfulness and sustainability. In four different podcasts, where each of them addresses a different topic, you will learn from a wide range of different people about the connection between mindfulness and sustainability and how we can change our behavior into being more aware of our surrounding so that we are more sustainable. Today, we're going to talk about food. Food is undeniably one of the common denominators that link us all together, one way or another. Have you ever thought about where the food you eat comes from? Is it locally sourced or in season? What is intuitive eating and why do we have preconceptions towards veganism? Are they concealed by products in the world's food system and can we prevent food waste? So what better way to connect that through food and meaningful conversation? Let's speculate together. This episode is going to be a virtual panel discussion between Bestla, one of our Densic members, and our four wonderful guests. We met Purnima Luthra from Plantier at the Green Week Eat Sustainably. The event was hosted by Ökos at CBS. We got inspired by seeing how engaged she was with the topic, not only scratching the surface, but having deeper knowledge and reaching from professional to a very personal sphere. Irene de Lauro from One Bowl and David Hurst from Future in Copenhagen, we met at one of their first events of Taste the Waste dinners hosted at One Bowl restaurant here in Copenhagen. It was an instant connection with great people and we loved the atmosphere and coziness of the place so much that we decided to invite them as they're relevant to the topic. Alejandro Franco from Café Bueno we met through Days of Impact hosted by DC here in Copenhagen. He is the spokesperson for B Corporation Café Bueno, which means they have a social and environmental impact ingrained in the DNA of their business model. Let's get inspired by the world of food. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the podcast series for the Danzig 20 event. My name is Bestla, and I'm part of the event design crew at Danzig this year, and I'll have the pleasure of moderating our discussion today. This episode will be dedicated to the food aspect in relation to mindfulness and sustainability, where we will get insights into the world of sustainable food systems through different people in the field. We've gathered together very inspirational people that I would like to introduce to you, Or better yet, I will give the stage to each of them, giving you guys at home a taste of their personal stories and where their inspiration comes from. So let's get to it and start with Alejandro Franco from Café Bueno. Hello, my name is Alejandro. I'm one of the founders of Café Bueno. Café Bueno is an ingredients company using green chemistry and biotechnology to upcycle spent coffee grounds into ingredients for cosmetics, nutraceuticals and functional foods. Sounds interesting. And how did you come up with the idea for Café Bueno? Tell us a little bit why and how you've done it and how mindfulness and sustainability has played a role in the building of your company. Uh, Café Bueno was started by myself and two friends, Juan and Camilo. We are all from Colombia and we started international business in London. Colombia has one of the strongest coffee cultures in the world as it is one of the main producers of it. And during our university, most of our friends were from Sweden 
another culture who is crazy for coffee. Uh, unsurprisingly, if you put Swedes and Colombians together, coffee will always be a topic of conversation. Uh, however, while they saw it as a symbol of coziness, friends and family time, and of course, as their energy boost, we saw it more from a producer's perspective, from not such a pretty angle, uh, because we started realizing and being more, more mindful about how people's backgrounds can play a huge role into their perception of a product that is basically the same across the world. Uh, we also realized how some stakeholders across the value chain retain most of the product's value. Uh, we asked ourselves, why is a coffee shop owner in London living such a good life while the people who we owe the existence of coffee, the farmers, can barely cover their production costs? So you guys started researching this further and digging into the topic. Tell us what it was that you found out. Through our research, we increased our awareness of how much waste is produced after coffee, the coffee beverage is made. And this raised the question, what happens to all of this waste? We soon discovered that there were over 9 billion kilos of coffee consumed worldwide and that less than 1% of coffee is taken advantage of when brewing a cup of coffee. And that most of their spent coffee grounds, or in other words, coffee waste, and end up in landfills or incinerated to make biofuels, which in turn generate methane or CO2 emissions, which contribute to global warming. If we make the assumption that all of those spent coffee grounds end up in a landfill or incinerated and not recycled, they can harm the Earth's ozone as much as 10 million cars every year. That's more cars than there are in Denmark alone. So there's only like 1% actually used for brewing a cup of coffee. And this amount of CO2 emissions from the waste sounds absolutely crazy. But what happens with the rest? I'm sure that when discovering these statistics, you, you must have thought about what to do with the spent ground, like all that waste. Uh, what could those compounds be good for? Growing up in Colombia also gave us some sort of advantage as our grandmas use coffee for everything. If you, if you fall down and get a wound, they would put some coffee onto it. And we, we always saw them like, okay, superstitious old grandmas in Colombia, uh, but it actually helped. So we remembered that and we started thinking what or made us wonder, what does coffee have inside of it that makes it good for wound healing and, and for your skin in general? <laughs> But it's not only your grandma in Colombia that uses natural ingredients. I mean, the market for products containing natural ingredients is growing rapidly in hand with increased demand. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Last year, the plant-based market grew by 11%, reaching 5 billion euros uh, in market size. However, think about the year 2050. It is expected that the world's population will reach about 10 billion people. And if we are all increasing, increasingly demanding more and more from a decaying nature, there is a high chance there will not be enough for all of us. Prices will skyrocket um, and the quality is likely to be jeopardized as well. So looking at waste as a research, as a research is one way in which we could use what is already out there rather than relying on more products to feed the growing population. And we are now able to use coffee waste as a resource to produce healthy, sustainable and affordable products for everyone. Thank you, Alejandro, for sharing the story behind Cafe Bueno and for your insights into the coffee world. It's always nice to learn about where people's inspiration comes from and how different cultures can get us to reflect and think things a little bit differently. Which leads us to our next guest. We have here today Purnima Lutra from Plantier. 
She's going to share with us her story and inspirations behind Plantier and what they have been up to since they started their plant-based food adventure in 2019. Hi, Besla. Um, thank you for inviting uh, me to share my thoughts about Plantier. Um, so Plantier was set up in 2019 by my co-founder Vivian and myself. We really see ourselves as the voice of the plant-based customer with a vision of really inspiring plant-based options on menus everywhere, from restaurants to cafes to catering facilities and in our kitchens uh, at home. We really want to see restaurants, cafes, caterers to be inclusive to the plant-based as well as the flexitarian customer and for all these parties um, to do their part to achieve the United Nations Sustainable development goals number 12 and 13, which relate to responsible consumption and production and climate action. And what was the final point of why the two of you decided to found Plantier? So really the story of Plantier actually is a very personal one. Um, both Vivian and I have uh, food intolerances and that over time moved us to adopting a plant-based lifestyle. We saw like a dramatic positive impact on our well-being, our energy. Um, and we also know that now with all the information out there that we're really having a positive impact on the environment. One of our biggest drivers were really the challenges that we faced when we were eating out. Um, so we would go to meals in restaurants or cafes or even at catering facilities and we'd find really limited options. I mean, there are times when we've been served grilled carrots or asparagus and I know asparagus is a delicacy, but there's only so much asparagus or carrots that you can have or kale um, in a single meal. So we've gone through seven course meals and walked away feeling really hungry. Um, so that really prompted us to think about the need for substantial and delicious plant-based options on menus everywhere. So that's really a personal reason. But Plantier does not only want to provide people a plant-based meal that won't leave them hungry. You're working on a wider scope, right? Tell us a little bit more about that and your further projects. So Plantier really works in partnership with various industry players and individuals to enable this to happen. In 2019, we launched the Be a Plantier badge for restaurants, cafes, and caterers who meet our requirements um, in providing substantial and delicious plant-based options on their menus. We've partnered with Go Green to get these restaurants on their sustainability map so that anyone, uh, any resident within the Copenhagen area, but also tourists coming to Copenhagen will have an easy way of recognizing restaurants that do provide um, substantial and delicious options on their menus. Um, we also work with uh, various industry players to speak at events. We've spoken at Bite Copenhagen, Homebrew Clean Tech, as well as Oikos' Green Week as well. We've worked with Unilever, Food Solutions and Nutelli to create a set of videos as well to influence both the industry, but also individual home cooks uh, who are looking for options and ideas on how to inspire their next meal. We've also conducted uh, workshops for individuals who want to begin their journey towards incorporating plant-based meals. We write blogs and articles. We share recipes. Um, we're really excited. Um, of course, um, coronavirus has changed things slightly for us, but we're really excited and looking forward to launching Green with Green Bike Tours, a partnership where we are launching plant-based bike tours in the Copenhagen area. So we 
work with uh, green bike tours to get small groups of people out to different restaurants. And along the way, they get to see the sights and sounds of Copenhagen and experience delicious and substantial plant-based food with our partner restaurants as well. And we're really excited to be nominated in 2020 for the Sustainary SDG Tech Awards. And so it's while we've only started in 2019, I think there's been a great traction with people being really interested and curious, I think, to understand what plant-based food actually is, and as well as making those gradual changes in their lives as well. I guess our vision is really we'd like to see more plant-based options everywhere. We want to be inclusive towards anyone who's really trying to make food choices that are better for themselves, but also for the sustainability of our planet. That's what Plantier is about. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your story with us. This is such a great service you guys are providing, and I think very much needed one. I'm sure some of our listeners out there can identify themselves in your story. Very inspirational and also eye-opening for those that do eat meat and uh, not, are not stumbling across the problem of leaving a restaurant feeling hungry. But let's continue with introducing to you the rest of our wonderful guests. Next, we have Irene Di Loro from Wonpo and David Hurst from Food Sharing Copenhagen. Together, they are here today to represent an amazing project, Taste the Waste which is a great example of a beautiful cooperation between the two organizations. Culture in Copenhagen, with the main focus of educating and bringing people's awareness to food waste, and the community restaurant One Bowl, which is an initiative aiming to resolve issues around food insecurities, loneliness, and social exclusion. Let's hear their personal stories and further how Taste the Waste became a weekly dinner event here in Copenhagen. David, if we start with you, welcome. Hello, and thank you, Pisla, for the opportunity to talk about what I've been doing for the last couple of years. So I um, joined Food Sharing back in 2016 and quickly got sort of involved more and more because I thought it was a really interesting project and I really liked the community surrounding it. Um, what we do as an organization is collect to redistribute surplus food. So three times a week, we run events, which cater from uh, Monday events are fairly small, catering for up to, I think, 50 or 60 people, where our Wednesday and Saturdays could be up to 200 to 300 people. And we collect redistribute surplus food. We collect from our donors around the, around Copenhagen, as far out as Hoytostrup, uh, and then... Um, sort it and give it out to people on a sort of unconditional basis. So anybody's welcome to come along, get food. We don't ask any questions about who you are, your income, what you're doing there. It's completely open and free to everyone. And then we collect donations to help cover the costs of renting uh, vans for doing the collection and to any other costs that come up. And one of, I think, the sort of weak points you could say about model and what we do and stuff is that I feel there was a lack of a sort of social aspect in sort of teaching people how to use the food that we get. Um, and one day I was just volunteering as a regular volunteer at one of our events. Um, I'm mostly involved in the management, so it's a kind of a something extra for me was to actually just be there and like give food to people. And I was working with um, Jerusalem Artichokes, which up till that day, I'd never seen either because I grew up in Australia and we don't have them there. So it was a bit difficult to persuade people to use something if I didn't even know what it was myself. So I, you know, I had to quickly Google it, ask some people I know who know what to do with these. And uh, um, so I then worked for giving these away to people, persuading about 100 people or so that came past my table to take Jerusalem artichokes. I gave them ideas what they could do with them. And um, inspiration for how they could cook them, how to use them. And a lot of people were like, what on earth is this and how do I use it? 
And it made me really thoughtful of the fact that people don't know how to use these particular foods. Um, so that was sort of combined with the fact that I felt we needed a more social atmosphere in food sharing, something we do do occasionally, but not something that we really focused on, you can say. I took the sort of the two things and I came up with the idea of taste of waste, which was the idea of sort of taking the surplus of food sharing, taking these random vegetables, taking things that we have too much of or stuff that people just don't really know how to use and then trying to turn it into a food, uh, into food for people. So that's sort of where the idea was born. Then when one bowl moved into its current location, I thought, wait, maybe the two can be combined. Um, then the idea kind of sat on the shelf for about a year until I uh, sort of decided, you know, I really need to do something with this. I felt like it was a good time for it. And then I met my co-organizer here, Elena, who will talk a bit about what one bowl does and how the idea developed from there. Hi, Besla, and hi, everyone. And thank you for inviting me to talk about our project. So first of all, I want to talk a bit about myself, and I'm a food scientist, and I've always been fascinated by food and all its meaning in a society. And I've, al I've always been interested in cooking and delivering messages through food, which I've always believed to be the most effective tool to make a change in society. And then when I came to Copenhagen to continue my career as a food expert, I could have not imagined to find such an amazing community like the Wumble family. Wumble is a pay-as-you-feel community restaurant that aims at resolving issues like food insecurity, loneliness, and social exclusion. Wumble is a safe space where plant-based meals are made by volunteers from different cultures in the communal vision of reducing hunger inequality because we are open for everyone regardless of their economic status and, the, and their culture. And I feel I kind of belong to Wumble now where my passion for cooking and helping people is finally a direction. But then I, I felt I could do more at Wumble and then I felt I could tackle other problems. And the more I've been studying the effect of food production in the environment, the more I realized the absurdity of the food system, where one third of the food we produce is not used for human consumption. And the reasons are many, and many are the way to tackle this enormous issue. And our way is called Taste the Waste, where, as David explained, we use surplus food cooked in a safe space where everyone is accepted, regardless of their economic status and culture. And being able to combine the values of those two organizations, Food Sharing Copenhagen and Wombo, made us stronger and bring a lot of people together in a communal effort to reduce food waste and to share food as much as possible to reduce food insecurity and to bring people together with the joy of sharing a nutritious meal. Beautiful. These are all very different and, and personal stories that you guys have brought forward, uh, which is very interesting to learn about. And I mean, speaking for myself, uh, raises both curiosity and even more awareness to how I can become more mindful in my own life and, and perhaps push myself towards a more sustainable behavior in regards to food. But maybe we can dive a little deeper into this mindfulness and sustainability. What does that mean for your business? I mean, can we change the world through sustainable food and, and being more mindful of our choices in regards to food? Are there any easy steps or life hacks for our listeners out there, something that they can take away from our discussions today? Let's start with hearing what Purnima has to say about it. Yeah, I think we live in interesting times, don't we? Um, you know, just the coronavirus and going through um, this whole unprecedented, um, you know, series of events that have led up to where the world is today, um, we actually have an opportunity to see how much our habits actually have such a positive influence on the environment. Um, it's given us all a 
some time to step back and reflect upon the impact that we as human beings actually have on the world. Uh, we've all seen the positive impact of grounding airplanes, reducing travel by car, and what that can have on pollution levels. Uh, I'm sure all of you have had a chance to see these amazing images from Italy, Spain, China, India, and even the UK, um, which shows parts of greenery and nature emerging that we've not seen in um, in many, many years. Um, so, you know, more so than ever, I think we've, as a human race, realized uh, that by being mindful to our habits and our actions, we can actually have a positive impact on the sustainability of our planet. So that makes it even more relevant for us to be discussing this topic of mindfulness and sustainability in today's times. Um, as Irina mentioned earlier, um, our food choices really do have a significant impact on the environment, uh, particularly on greenhouse gas emissions, land usage, freshwater consumption. We've had the opportunity to watch, I'm sure many of you have, uh, documentaries like Cowspiracy, Forks Over Knives, Game Changers as well, that have highlighted the negative impact of our food production on the environment and our health. Uh, we know now that, you know, for example, 100 grams of meat production uh, produces 105 kilograms of greenhouse gas emissions. And that can be compared to, for example, pulses, producing pulses, which only produce uh, 0.3 kilograms of greenhouse gas emissions. And we know that animal agriculture is responsible for about 18%, around 18% of greenhouse gas emissions, which is in fact more than the combined exhaust from all modes of transportation. In Denmark, farmland is actually responsible for about 21% of Danish emissions, and 19% of it actually comes from rearing cows and pigs. And 50% of this land is actually used to produce the food for these animals. Um, we know that you know the meat that is used to produce a single burger, uh, beef burger, uses about water uh, that we can shower with uh, for about two months or about 3,000 liters of water. So these are significant statistics that are out there um, to make us question our choices and become more mindful about the food choices that we're making. As uh, Alejandro mentioned, um, you know, we have about 9.7 to 10 billion people to feed in 2050. And so, you know, we really need to transform our eating habits towards becoming more sustainable. And the Eat Lancet study, of course, suggests this planetary diet. And to date, about 400 million people around the world have adopted a plant-based diet. Um, and that number is steadily growing. Um, global data suggests that about 70% of the global population is actually either reducing meat consumption or avoiding meat entirely. So those are really encouraging um, points to look at. And um, of course, we hope to see more and more happening. So this idea of bringing mindfulness and sustainability is so important. It's about us being really conscious to our choices of the food that we're eating. Um, and for Plantier, it is so important to the work that we do. We want to encourage people to become more mindful about the food that they're putting on their table, the choices that they're making in restaurants, as well as as lunch in cafeterias as well. Um, and in doing so, we do stand a chance to make an impact um, on, on the environment in a very positive way. And that's how we at Plantier believe that mindfulness is such a big part of enabling sustainability of our, our, of our planet. Um, um, just to illustrate the impact, um, 
Susie Amos Cameron, the author of One Meal a Day, says that just by eating one plant-based meal a day for one year, we can actually save 737,000 liters of water and 350 kilograms of carbon emissions. In other words, if we had three plant-based meals a day for one year, we would save the equivalent of greenhouse gas emissions generated from driving from New York to San Francisco four times. So the impact is significant. I think for most individuals, we may not have realized what a real impact that we can have with our individual food choices um, on the sustainability of the planet. So really being mindful, uh, being present and being conscious of our food choices can have that positive impact. And it is so important to enabling the work uh, that we do at Plantier. Wow. These are mind-blowing statistics. Thank you for sharing that. And it's a, it's a great point about the individual food choices and how much positive impact we can actually have on our environment by just being conscious about what we eat. I think it's a great reminder to reflect on our own eating habits and think about how you as an individual can become more sustainable in your choices. And it's a great example for an easy step, uh, this one plant-based meal a day, and that will already create a positive impact on your environment. And also just thinking a little bit further and even thinking about what more than one meal per day would actually do. I'm curious to hear what Irene and David have to say in regards to mindfulness and sustainability. Okay, so our, our concept of One World perfectly connects to what Pranima said, because we provide 100% plant-based uh, menu. But um, our project, Taste the Waste, wanted to bring even more sustainability into One World, where not only we provide plant-based food, but we provide food that was going to be wasted. So by that, we give people the, the opportunity to be even more sustainable, because that food wasn't only produced in a more sustainable manner because it's plant-based but then we save all the resources that were used to produce that, that food because when food is wasted not only the food itself but it's also all the resources put into producing it like water and packaging and the food that is especially wasted at the end of the food supply chain is the worst because all the resources used to produce it have also been wasted so that's what we want to bring with our dinners is if we can deliver as much food as to feed 70 maybe more people that's actually a big impact on onto people's in people's mind and we feel that that can change how people see food waste and we also try to use um, interesting foods and maybe like foods that people don't know really know how to use and we provide recipes so we want to inspire people to be more creative because it is hard to be creative especially when you only use plants legumes and grains we feel is a challenge when it comes to plant-based food. So yeah, what Purnima has just said is amazing and it makes us really thoughtful about the impact that our food choices have. Exactly. I mean, you guys are even taking it further. You're not only fighting food waste, providing plant-based restaurant options and fighting equality, but also raising awareness and educating people around the food supply chain and the resources spent. I mean, even giving out recipes and stuff like that. That is what the Taste the Waste the product is working on and, and by that creating a huge amount of positive impact on the environment. Also, customers feel safe in the space you've created and I think it creates a ripple effect when they learn more about the topic and that they can take it into their own lives. And Alejandro, you can maybe take this a little further since you guys are working with circularity. 
to figure out ways to close the loop and minimizing the use of resource inputs and the creation of waste pollution and carbon emissions. Kind of the thought of all waste should become food for another process. So at Café Bueno, you are reusing the coffee ground, the waste, and you create other products. Your business operation has pretty much social and environmental impact ingrained into its DNA. But tell us a bit more about the mindfulness aspect. Sure. The way we, we use mindfulness in our business is kind of what has been intrinsically motivating the composition of coffee. Good for human health. What is actually that is going to waste? And then we started thinking, okay, so how can we preserve them? How can we extract them? In which applications would it would it make more sense to get into, depending on the market? And, but also from a more broad perspective. So if we have all of this coffee waste decomposing in landfills, first of all, what is the opportunity cost for the economy of not taking advantage of that coffee waste? If we, if for example, if all of the 10 billion kilos per year uh, that are that are consumed of coffee be put back into into the economy, that would represent about 60 billion euros. When we realized that that was also, that is also a, a point for motivation for us, but also being mindful of uh, people who really perceive coffee. Well, a lot of people who really perceive coffee as unhealthy, without really knowing why. Um, when I talk to people that they say, yeah, coffee is unhealthy. I asked, why do you say that? Based on what? And they say, no, that's my perception. But science says otherwise. So taking all of, this, all of those things into consideration actually helps us make strategic decisions in order to reach our goal of changing people's perception of coffee from looking at it as a beverage to looking at it as a holistic or look at it in a holistic way as a plant that can be used for many different things. Something interesting that came to uh, came to my mind after listening to Purnima, more and more people are eating plant-based and they are eating less meat. But at the same time, when you look at the meat industry, it is actually growing still every year. Last year, it grew by 6% in sales and volume. And that is driven by the uh, upcoming middle class in the developing economies like China, Thailand, Vietnam, and Latin America. So, yeah, I always wonder, like, like what can companies do, for example, like Plantier, to not only keep increasing the plant-based people, but rather actually decrease the, the meat production and sales. Very interesting thoughts, Alejandro, and underlines how complex the situation is. Makes you think about how multi-layered and complicated the field of food actually is and how challenging it is to deal with. But it's also a good reminder that we as individuals can do a lot. Just by changing small habits in your own life can, can so easily lead to a greater impact on our planet, even just with a change of mindset towards it. So yes, I think Alejandro's thoughts lead very well into the third round of our discussion today and brings us on to the challenges. Let's have a last round of discussion about what are the challenges for you to achieve mindfulness and sustainability in your organization? As it might not be something which is typically linked together, but I feel like we have discovered here today that it might actually be. Yeah, maybe I can... Um... I start with this. Alejandro, I think you brought up a really good point. Um, and I think that, you know, we really need to work towards changing and building awareness um, around, um, 
changing consumer habits, right? Uh, and the more that consumers demand uh, shifts in the industry, that's when we'll really see um, changes happening. Um, at Plantier, we think that there are three main challenges uh, when it comes to mindfulness and sustainability and this whole idea of becoming more aware of our food choices. Um, so the first is actually this idea that, you know, there's a real dissonance between um, the food that is on our table and where it comes from. In many parts of the world uh, where they may not have witnessed how food is actually manufactured and produced, there's a real disconnect, I think, between how people think that food is produced and the impact that it has on the environment. And that dissonance actually prevents us from seeing that our food habits and the choices that we make can actually have an impact on the environment. Um, secondly, I think for many of us, we feel that, well, what can I as one person do? You know, there's this general feeling that, well, yes, you know, I want to support the environment and I want to do my part, but really is one meal that I'm changing to make it plant-based really going to have an impact? And at Plantier, we say yes, every single one of us counts. And I think it is that one step at a time, those small changes towards, um, you know, making maybe breakfast, for example, plant-based, um, having it overnight uh, oats or something like that, where you are making that difference. And it is having a significant impact with the statistics that I gave you earlier um, from the One Meal a Day book, you know. Um, so it is, um, I think there is a need for greater awareness around how our individual decisions and these small steps um, can actually have a really, really strong positive impact on the sustainability of our planet. Um, and I think the third um, real main challenge that I think we face um, is that there's a real negative association between uh, what plant-based uh, or flexitarian diets actually constitute, um, that sometimes they see more as a fad rather than a real shift in consumer behavior. And yes, I think all of us working within this industry have a real responsibility uh, to raise awareness about what plant-based diets actually are, what they mean, what they constitute, how you can cook delicious and substantial meals. I think uh, it's not just a salad on the table and you're not going to feel hungry after you eat a plant-based meal. And I think that is a shift that we need to see um, happening. And that will grow as we have more awareness, as we have more chefs who are, um, you know, creating lots of content and material out there for individual cooks as well um, to, you know, within their homes to be able to rustle up a nice and substantial meal that is actually plant-based, good for our health, good for the environment as well. So really these three challenges, I think, are the biggest ones that we face, at, at least at Plantier, that we think uh, need to be addressed, this dissonance that people have, this general apathy that what can I as one person do, and then this negative associations that we have about what plant-based uh, or flexitarian diets actually consume, uh, constitute. And I think if we're able to address these, um, I think that we will be able to make some good progress um, and grow those numbers that we're seeing around the world. And for example, it is perceived that meat gives you kind of status, right? Do you think it is possible that plants in some way can achieve that, that shift in perception? Alejandro, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think that there's two aspects to this, that our food choices um, that we make are cultural as well. Um, and certain traditions and customs um, you know, revolve around certain 
foods being on the table, for example, turkey or a, a roast, you know, for example. Um, and the other aspect, as you rightfully brought about, uh, brought up, is this idea that our uh, you know, our food choices are a reflection on status and wealth. And I'm not sure if uh, we can ever come to a stage where a broccoli will be a superior food or a luxury item. Um, but I think that as we increase awareness about the impact on, um, you know, sustainability, uh, food choices having that impact, positive impact on sustainability as well as health, the very idea of seeing being plant-based in itself will be seen as something that is is something positive and that it's something that should be aspired towards. At least that's the way that you know we'd like to see it at Plantier. So we may not be able to create a broccoli that is a luxury item, um, but I think that if we can really increase awareness about the positive impacts that plant-based food choices make on the environment as well as on our health, I think that in itself will be seen as something that people want to aspire towards. And for me, that is a luxury in itself. It's a luxury item that reflects status and wealth and um, this real positive thinking towards uh, the sustainability of our planet. Yeah, this makes total sense. So by being more mindful of how we eat, we would be able to make more sustainable decisions and with that make a greater impact. Yeah, if we manage to make everyone realize how valuable uh, they are by eating correctly and having a positive impact, they eventually it will be perceived as a, something to aspire rather than, okay, look at this vegan. But it's something all, we also experience with coffee. Not exactly the same, but how can you change the perception of a 60-year-old woman that has always been thinking that coffee, uh, it's, un it's unhealthy, for example. Yeah, it's basically increasing awareness and inform uh, through information. Um, I think also sort of from a perspective we often focus on at food sharing is raising awareness of what people can do more in the here and now as well. Um, I also agree that we need to transition towards a more plant-based diet, but I'm fairly realistic that's unlikely to happen in the immediate future. And also getting the entire world to transition its dietary habits is going to be a challenge because some cultures meet plays and super important symbolic role. But something that we've often focused on and something I think people can change immediately in their own lives is the awareness of when food is safe to eat and being aware that, for example, if something looks a little bad, doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. A good example is peppers often get a bit wrinkly, therefore the supermarkets will throw them out. The pepper is still perfectly good. It tastes the same. Same with apples. Bananas can have black spots. Again, cosmetic standards require the supermarkets to throw them out. But if people are a bit more mindful of them, for example, if you go to the supermarket and you only buy all the worst-looking bananas, that will prevent them from going to waste. And another area which is getting a lot of focus in Denmark at the moment, thanks to Too Good To Go, and it's um, often good before uh, date labels, is the awareness of when something is safe to eat. I was talking to my roommate actually just before we um, started this discussion about um, people's awareness of, like milk is a great example, how do people know when it's still safe to actually drink cow's milk? Um, in her case, her ex-partner um, used to basically just follow the date labels religiously. As soon as the date has expired, he just tipped the milk out down the sink and threw the carton out. Um, and that's because no one had ever taught him how do you actually tell when milk is bad. And in my case, I was lucky that I actually grew up on a farm. Um, my parents are beef and cattle farmers, but um, previously in the UK, they were dairy farmers. So they know milk. You know, they've, I've always grown up drinking fresh milk from our neighbors and I know it very well and it's very easy to tell when milk's gone bad it smells bad 
pasteurized milk that we buy in the supermarkets lasts much longer than the stuff that I grew up drinking, but it's very quick and easy to tell. And I think that something that we need to do as a society is to try and raise a lot more awareness about when is stuff safe to eat. The date labels are there as a guidance. And in the cases of meat and dairy, they're there also for safety reasons. But you can also just use common sense, which I think is something we've really lost in our society over the last 50 years, is that people don't know how to tell if something is safe. Most things are safe. Meat you have to be careful with, but even then, just smell it. Look at it. You can usually tell if it's gone bad. I think our, one of the major problems is that we put lots of trust in the authority and we don't really trust our instinct anymore. I mean, food in nature is ugly. And uh, one of the main problems of food waste is the aesthetic and uh, the standard. Like one third of the food the producers, the farmers produce, is actually thrown away even before it reaches the retailer, which is, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think this discussion could go on and on since this is a very interesting topic. And I mean, at the end of the day, um, it's these meaningful conversations that can open people's eyes and mind actually around the topic of food. First of all, like, I think it's good for for everyone to think that themselves, that they can be the change that they want to see. Um, Like all of our wonderful guests here today um, are very much working uh, towards. But to wrap up, is there any message that you that you guys would like to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I can um, start perhaps. Um, You know, as David said earlier, this is a paradigm shift uh, when it comes to our food choices that will take time. And of course, shifting cultural habits uh, is not an easy task at all. Um, But I also believe very strongly um, that, you know, there's a here and now, and that's part of the mindfulness aspect, isn't it? That, you know, we do have choices um, that we can make right now. And um, I think it's really, really important for us to think about small changes one step at a time actually can have a significant impact um, on the environment and sustainability. So really being mindful um, about our food choices, about the food that we're putting on our table, about the choices we're making when we go out and have a meal. I think there's significant impact that it can have. And I think that that's really what the message we want to communicate uh, when it comes to mindfulness and sustainability from Plantier is, you know, be conscious of your food choices, adopt the flexitarian approach, make those small changes step by step. And we all have a real role to play um, in this journey towards being more sustainable um, into the future. Amazing. Thank you so much. Great words to end on. Even though I would love to sit here longer and pick your brains on. But unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye. But I want to remind our listeners that on our Facebook online community, you might have the chance to ask these guys some questions on your own. Something that might have popped up into your mind while listening today. So stay tuned for our dancing event online. In this episode, we've gotten insights into the complex world of the food systems through a discussion around, can we change the world through sustainable food? Hopefully this has raised both curiosity and awareness in you on how we as individuals can become more mindful in our own lives and perhaps push ourselves to rethink some old patterns in regards to our food choices. We learned about food waste as a resource and as an opportunity to think in the loop rather than ending up in landfills and a reminder on how absurd the supermarket's beauty standards are and how we have gotten into a habit of looking at things in a certain way. We got some life hacks like picking the ugly banana at the supermarket. These small things can create a great positive impact on our world. A great reminder that one action can go a long way. 
Next time, we're going to talk about flow and mind and how important it is to be mindful and connect to the moment. Taking care of yourself can be hard work and does not only mean to exercise your body, but also your mind. Meditation, breathwork and the simple act of pausing will be discussed. So if you're interested, stay tuned for the next episode. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to take part in our survey, which you can find in our Danzig Facebook community. Here you can also get engaged into discussions on sustainability and mindfulness. A massive thank you to Tuborg Fund for its generous financial support, as well as the University of Copenhagen's Sun Hub Incubator, where we could have our weekly meetings over the last year, as well as Triple M Records for music and sound engineering. If you liked the episode, please share it with your friends and family. Be mindful and keep washing your hands during COVID-19 and make sure to subscribe to this channel. You can find us on Spotify and SoundCloud, Facebook and LinkedIn under Densig minus Danish Social Innovation Club and on Instagram under Densig underscore Instagram. See you in the next episode.